0: Thank you, worship team. Good morning. It's got to be about the last 70-degree day we're going to have this winter. Enjoy it. It's awesome. You know, last Sunday, we talked on the glory of the new covenant. And I gave you an example of just my feelings and my emotions towards the Rockies. And I remember that, I think it was that Sunday night they were playing their last game, wasn't it? Or maybe Monday night. And the example I shared was that You know, I've been a lifelong baseball fan. I've been a a fan of the Rockies from day one, 14 years ago. And I was a season ticket holder up until two years ago. And I dropped those tickets for financial reasons, not because I was disgusted from losing every year. (laughs) The example that the Lord brought to mind was that the way that I've seen the Rockies over the years is not the way that Christ sees you and me. And let me explain. You know, I love the Rockies when they're winning. And doggone it, they didn't have to get swept. I mean, it took me 48 hours to recover from that. And I couldn't look at the paper. Um, You know, I really uh, used Clint Hurl's name in vain a few times. God does not see us that way. God sees you and I, regardless of whether we get swept every day in life. He sees us as holy and righteous and blameless. And that's the best example I can come up with, but it's a real one for me right now. We talked last week on the glory of the new covenant. And I want to read to you some scripture in Romans that we read last week that does a wonderful job of reviewing. Because it's important to review where we were last week to understand where we're going today. And these verses, if you were not here last Sunday, I would urge you to go to the website and listen to the message. As I said in the Enos, it really doesn't matter who preached it, Uh, the verses are foundational for us in understanding. Who we are in Christ. And that is a major obstacle for many of us. For me, in my walk, is continually reminding myself and asking the Lord to remind me who I am in Him. And that I'm already adequate. I'm already approved. There's nothing I need to do to earn His favor. Does that make sense? Read along with me in Romans chapter 7, verses 5 through 13. It says, For while we were in the flesh meaning before salvation, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. Now what this means here, and what we studied last week, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on it this morning, but the law, the old covenant, actually arouses up our sin. Okay, It's it's not to be blamed for our sin, but before salvation we were stuck with the law that is glorious, rules, and we had no power to obey them. No power to obey him at all. And that's what it's saying here is that there were sinful passions which were aroused by the law and they were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. Before salvation, there was no hope for us. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And basically what that means is... The Old Covenant says we have to. The New Covenant says we want to. You see the difference? That's how God wants us to live, is not by a set of rules every day that we've got to do this. We've got to spend time in the Word. We've got to spend time on our knees in prayer. We've got to do this and do that and jump through all these hoops. It's to go before the sovereign king and saying, God, you know, I don't feel like it, and I want to feel like it. Can you give me more love for my spouse, for my kids, for my neighbors? Can you give me a greater desire to spend time in prayer? Can you give me a greater desire to spend time in your word? So the old covenant is the have to. The new covenant is the want to. And the power is what? The power is the Holy Spirit. And we have the Holy Spirit that gives us everything we need for life and godliness. Let me continue reading. What shall we say then? is the law sin no may it never be on the contrary I would not have come to know sin except through the law for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said you shall not covet so we talked about the law being a tutor that the law actually leads us actually shows us our need for a savior without the law we wouldn't even know our need for a savior but sin taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. And I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive, and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So then the law is holy. This is important, folks. The law kills, but it's perfect it's holy it is exactly what God planned because it's our tutor it leads us to Christ therefore did that which is good become a cause for death for me did that which is good the law become a cause for death for me may it never be rather it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good that through the commandment sin might utterly become sinful I just want to share one other thing before we pray and before we get into today's text. While we're in this flesh, we're going to sin. We're going to sin. And two things in regards to that. And it's on either side of sin. In front of sin and on the back side of sin. In front of sin, there's no excuse. Because we've got the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome anything. On the back side of that, when the inevitable happens, when we sin... Romans 8.1 says what? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So those are two huge promises. It says in Romans 7, the Apostle Paul says, Should I continue sinning because I'm forgiven so that grace may abound evermore? And the answer to that is no. We shouldn't continue sinning. But as far as I know, every human being outside of the God-man, Jesus Christ, has sinned. And that's why we need a Savior there's a dear person in my life that blew it in the last week. And I told this person, I said, you know, God's never going to... And I believe this person's in Christ. I believe this person is a Christian. And I said, you know, it's not until you realize that you're a wretched sinner is God going to do anything with you. That's heresy. Let me tell you why. Because this person is not a wretched sinner. And it can be confusing because we all are going to sin. And there's some semantics here. But this person did not need to hear that they're a wretched sinner. They needed to know that they have the strength of Christ for obedience and to give this person the want to. And my tendency is to put a finger in people's chest and tell them about the have to. Do you know what I'm saying? It's all about the want to. And don't do this to your spouses or your kids, you know, if they're in Christ, okay? This is a message for the world, okay? If people are not in Christ, if they're if they're shaking their fist at God and going the other direction, they need the message. They need to first understand that they're a wretched sinner because we got to understand that we're sinners before we can understand the grace of God. But if you're in Christ... That's not a message for us to be put in each other's face. Let's pray. God, I need you so much. I need you so much. And Lord, you know the posture of my heart. You know my inadequacies left to myself and my tendency to want to bowl through things and try to force people and force things into a certain mold. And God, I first say thank you. That all my past, present, future transgressions are covered by the blood of Christ. And God, I thank you, secondly, that you don't leave us in our flesh, in our sinful flesh. That you give us everything we need for life and godliness. And I pray, God, that you would keep me out of the way. God, I've got nothing to offer. And God, you've got everything to offer. So, Father, I pray that you would prepare each of our hearts to be ministered to by you and your word. And, God, that we would each take away from here something that draws us closer and into more intimacy, into a deeper devotion with the God Most High, who is also the God Most Nigh. So, God, we just ask that your Spirit would be here with us and that you would teach us here today. It's in Christ's special name we pray. Amen. You know, all of us are different styles of learners, and I still don't know what style of learner I am probably more of a visual rather than a than an audio. If you're a note taker, I would just ask you to be prepared to take notes because there's a lot here and you may need to connect the dots later in case things don't make sense. And you know, for me, where I feel the closest to the Lord, communing with him in a special way, you know, it's typically not in those seats sitting underneath somebody's teaching. For me, it's typically praising and worshiping the Lord in song. And most of the songs that we sing are... Our scripture. You know, we're singing the wonders of the Lord. So I don't know. I don't even know why I said that other than sometime I'd love to have a service where we just sing and worship for an hour and a half. Would that be fun? Would be fun? You want to do that today? <laughs> I need a scapegoat. <laughs> well, we are finishing up in chapter 3. And we're going through verses 12 through 18 today. Last week we finished... 6 through 11. Let me read today's passage, and it starts in verse 12. Having therefore such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech, and are not as Moses who put a veil over his face, and the sons of Israel might not look intently at the end of what was fading away, but their minds were hardened, the unbelieving Israelites, For until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is his spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And the title of today's message is Show and Grow. And I'm not quite sure that should be the title. You have to make up your own mind at the end. I found myself trying to... And that's that's one of the challenges. For me, I've got some creative pastors all around me that they... Like, Dean comes up with titles of messages like three months ahead of time, and it all just fits perfectly. You know, I come up with the title of the message 24 hours ahead, and it's like, where did I get that from? So I think it'll fit. It's called Show and Grow. There's three parts to it. The first part is hope leads to boldness. And it's such a cool message because it, it, it hits me personally right where I'm at, and that is that I, I'm a man that lacks boldness when I need boldness a lot. As some of you go, Party? you like boldness? That's not what I've seen. But when it counts, and that is is proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, oftentimes I lack boldness. And we're going to talk about how hope leads to boldness. Two, the plea and the promise. What is the plea that comes from boldness? And what is the promise that comes from that plea? And then the last point is seeing and growing. And really these are three separate messages so just hold on to your hats and take some notes The very first one is called hope that leads to boldness and it's uh, verses 12 through 13 And I kind of broke this down by asking myself questions as I was looking at it It was a very difficult passage for me to tear apart And I use a lot of different commentaries and when you use a lot of different commentaries, sometimes it confuses you more Hope leads to boldness. What is such a hope? Let me read 12 and 13 having therefore such a hope And whatever you see therefore, what does that mean? You gotta ask the question, what is it therefore? And typically you go backwards and you gotta look at the context. So in order to understand this hope, we need to understand the previous 11 verses. Having therefore such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not as Moses who used to put a veil over his face that the sons of Israel might not look intently at the end of what was fading away. So what is Such a hope it's everything he wrote about in the last 11 verses. It's the gospel. It's the new covenant It's the hope that we have in Christ God the father has chosen a people for himself God the son died for those sinners, and the Holy Spirit is going to win those people and Paul knows that he can't lose so the boldness that Paul has in proclaiming the gospel comes from the hope that he has within him and the hope and the promise that Christ has come, has died for sins, rose again, and has conquered death eternal. And that the Holy Spirit is living and active in the hearts of men and women then and today. So that gives Paul the hope, the boldness, for that hope it says in acts 13 and as many as had been appointed to eternal life they will believe that's his hope he knows that god is working and his hope is is that many people will be saved next question is what is boldness if hope is the gospel hope is the new covenant what is boldness and boldness comes from the Greek word parousia, which is courageous, confident, and outspoken proclamation. And you know, that's really an anomaly, that kind of speech, even in the world today, outside of Christendom. If you listen to politicians, you listen to preachers on the radio sometimes, it's all veiled speech. And nobody says, really, what They should be saying the definition of boldness comes easily when we look at the opposite of boldness. and I've got three examples of the opposite of boldness. One is fear or timidity. So the opposite of boldness is being fearful or timid. Courage to be fearless in the face of persecution or opposition. The courage to be straight up with the gospel when facing potential opposition. So boldness is courage to be fearless. The opposite is is fear or timidity. I think I'm getting ahead of my notes here, but I operate in fear a lot. And I don't know if you can relate with this. Have you ever had such a clear prompting to share Christ? A clear prompting. To be bold. To share the the hope that lies within you. And you chicken out. And you know what that chickening out is? It's fear. It's fear of losing a friendship. It's fear of being ostracized from the family. It's fear of losing that promotion. And I understand that many of us live in environments where we're in corporate America where we can't be as free as we want to be. So I don't know how that all works. I came out of corporate America, and, and in fact, I was reprimanded once for shoving Christ, quote, down this lady's throat. So I learned there, and actually that reprimand probably made me more timid. So what is boldness? Number one, it's courage to be fearless. Number two, it's courage to be unashamed. So boldness is not shame, but it's the courage to be unashamed. Boldness is being unashamed by the gospel of Christ. Paul was unashamed. He talked about it a lot. It sounds weird, but we know if Paul can be ashamed at times. Peter was a classic case of being ashamed or fearful. When Christ was ready to get taken in to be beaten and crucified, he denied Christ three times. Peter was one of three men that were closest to Jesus. Spent almost five years with Jesus at his side 24-7. Knew he was the Messiah. Saw him. Saw him perform miracles. And he was ashamed of him for that moment. He confessed it. And Christ strengthened him. We saw what Peter did after Christ died. He was a bold proclaimer of Christ. It says in the first part of Acts that over 3,000 people Came to Christ basically in one sitting because of Peter's boldness and lack of shame. The third definition of boldness is guarded speech, minced words, and indirect, vague, obscure political communication. When a bold person speaks, people know what he means. My guess there's people in, in our lives that we really aren't quite sure if we're Mormon or we're Christian. They know we're good religious people. And you know, we had that in our cul-de-sac where we live up by 25 there. I know, for me anyways, that people thought I was religious, but I don't know that they would have associated me with Christ. I had a conversation with my neighbor a couple of weeks ago, and she said, I don't even know how we got to this place. But she said, you know, I just can't believe that Jesus, or that that God... She says she's a Christian. She says, I can't believe that, that, that God would let people go to hell that believe that there's other ways to heaven. And I kind of fumbled, and it wasn't a great place to talk, and that type of thing, but that's... And I'm not even quite sure what I said, but I think it was minced speech. It wasn't clear. Now, the challenge is, is how do we combat that lie with the truth of the gospel in a loving way. But I want to encourage you all to be bold. It's missing in the church today. It's missing in this church. It's missing in my house, my heart. It's missing in the church in America because we are spending so much time fighting battles that at the end of the day don't matter. The only thing that changes hearts Is the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel that impacts the unregenerate heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. It says in God's word that people are saved by the hearing of the word and they got to hear it. And it's not just a preacher's job. It's all of our job. Back to the point of the new covenant. When I say job, it automatically gives us a heart of have to, doesn't it? So we've got jobs, so we've got to, go to work every day. But pray that the Lord would give you a heart of want to. That we would see our neighbors and our co-workers as Christ sees them. So what's the connection between hope and boldness? Boldness is the fruit of hope. Boldness is the fruit of hope. And if we're lacking boldness, it's one of two things. It's one is that we really don't understand the gospel. And we're timid in our sharing of the gospel because of it. And there's a lot of truth there. Because I know in this society, we feel like we need to be armed. We need to understand how to defend our faith. We need to understand what to say to people when they ask us where our hope lies. And that's not a bad place to be. And if you're in that place, come talk to me. Come talk to Chris or Dean or Danny or there's other men and ladies in here too that have a clear understanding of the gospel. And I really believe that you can be saved, you can be saved for a long time and not fully understand every nook and cranny of the gospel good enough to be able to defend it. So the connection between hope and boldness is, A, is ignorance, that we don't really understand where our hope lies, so it doesn't correspond to boldness. Two is, is just flat-out pride. It's just pride. And pride is that fear of not being accepted, not being liked, you know. And that's a big one. And I don't... Why is that? Why is that? I'm I'm asking myself that. It bugs me. You know what? If we had an understanding of really, without Christ's sacrifice, what eternity was going to look like, and as believers, we are stewards of the manifold grace of God, the gospel, I think that we would be doing what Peter and James did in the first or second chapter of Acts when the Pharisees told them to shut up. What would they say? They said, we can't stop talking about what we've seen and we've heard. I want that to be me. Believer, do you want that to be you? This life is short. It's but a vapor. Our dear sister, Jan Cooper, is Gaining momentum on her journey to heaven. And any one of us can be in her spot tomorrow. You know what's worse? Our unsaved neighbors, our unsaved co workers, our unsaved family members. I want to operate with an urgency. How do we get that urgency? How do I get that urgency? To proclaim like Peter and James that I can't stop talking about what I've seen and heard. But you know, I am more concerned. And I got all kinds of examples of me, and I'm hoping that um, A, you'll pray for me, but B, you wouldn't be sitting there going, Oh, that poor Hardy, man, he needs he needs to get his act together. But you would internalize it somehow. That I'm so consumed with stuff. I'm so consumed with. My physical well-being. Yeah, this is a temple and I want to take care of it. Yeah, I'm type A and I need to exercise or Nancy kicks me out of the house to go exercise. Yeah, I don't want to miss any of my son's soccer games. But many times I put all that fun, good stuff ahead of my passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to just stop for a second here. Because I don't want this to be a downer, because this is what life's all about. I mean, outside of Christ, we're going to spend an eternity in hell. And I was reminded of a song this morning that kids sing. And this whole message of the gospel should bring us... What word comes to mind? Somebody spit out a couple words. Joy. There's a kid song that, that goes something like this. It says, I've got that joy, 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 down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I've got that joy, 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 down in my heart. Now, I don't know the rest. But edit that. But I want to operate with joy. And, and the new covenant brings joy. It brings the want to not to have to. And when we walk around day after day, like I do, because A, I was raised in a church that, you know, my hands were slapped with rulers and my left earlobe's longer than my right earlobe. And I was told if I do this, I'm going to get hit by lightning. If I cry, the tears are going to dry up right here for the rest of my life. You know, if you lie, you're going to go to hell. And I guess that's all true outside of Christ. But I want to operate with joy. And I want my countenance. I want God to start changing my countenance. I want God to start changing your countenance. That when we walk into situations in our workplace, in our neighborhood, that we are the reflection of the glory of Christ. And people can't help but say, what's different? What's different about Chris? What's different about Christy? What's different about Rick? What's different? You know, it's one thing getting the boldness to share Christ. But it's convicting to me when I don't have many people asking me where my hope lies. See, people are going to ask us where our hope lies when they're interested, when there's something they want. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean that there's not going to be times, whether it be in the grocery store or the elevator or a divine appointment across the driveway, where we just need to open our mouth and share the love of Jesus. But to me, the acid test of the joy of Christ coming out from my life is, are people asking me? And I'm sure somebody's going to challenge me on that scripturally, because I, you know... So, connection between hope and boldness. If we're not bold, we're ignorant of our hope, we don't understand the gospel, or we're prideful. When we have such a hope, we will be fearless with persecutors. We will be unashamed of the gospel... We will be unwilling to cloak the gospel in a fog of spiritual language that leaves people wondering, Honey, do you you think he's... I bet he's Mormon. Maybe he's Hindu. He's a nice guy. I don't want them wondering that. If we have such a hope, brothers and sisters, we will be very bold. Point number two. Point number two is the problem, the plea, and the promise. Verses 14 through 17. It says, but their minds were hardened. The unbelieving Israelites, their minds were hardened. For until this very day at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read or the law is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is a Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So, our hope gives us boldness. The boldness to administer the manifold grace of God. What's the problem? Why do people need the manifold grace of God? The problem is their hardened minds. Hardened is a form of the word poro which could be translated stubborn. People that have yet to put their faith and trust in Christ, they're doing it their own way. Their minds, they're stubborn. It says in Acts 7.51, you men who are stiff-necked, this is Philip before he got stoned to death. He's in their face saying, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit You are doing just as your fathers did. And I'm not sure that's the way to share the gospel, but it is the condition of an unbeliever's heart, that they are stiff-necked and they're wanting to do it their own way, and they have yet to surrender. The second problem is that their hearts are veiled. The veil symbolizes ignorance from a hardened heart. A true understanding of the old covenant would have prepared them for the removal of the veil that kept them, and by the way, still keeps people from understanding the clear revelation of the New Covenant. Now the veil results in one of two things. The unregenerate people have yet to put their faith and trust in Christ. They've got a veil over their face that they can't see the glory of the New Covenant. And they're operating by a set of rules, trying to be good. Have you noticed that? That's growing in the world today. If you look at the Hollywood people... People that are uh, Hindu or Scientology people. I mean, there is a real movement of charity. And people, I think Oprah Winfrey just had a deal that backfired on her. But people are are wanting to do good. But they got this, this veil over their face that they can't see that ultimately they can't do good. Because they don't have the power of God in the form of the Holy Spirit. So the veil that they have over their face results in either rebellion or legalism. Rebellion, and some of you have seen it in your kids, rebellion is, is that I've had a set of rules all my life and I'm tired of following those rules. It just makes me feel guilty and I can't do it. And so they rebel, they're out of here. The second thing that it leads to is legalism. Which is, I understand what I'm supposed to do, and I'm going to try my best to do everything I can. I'm not going to rebel, but I'm going to be a good little heathen. And you know, we've got to be really careful of that, folks, as uh, parents of young kids, because it's, and man, I am so convicted by this this last week. You know, I, I put this standard of morality on my kids. And yeah, they're in my house, and they've got to do, a, they got to, they got to play by my rules. But I don't want them to have the thought that I care about their external appearance, about their external adherence to a set of rules, either that I imposed or God imposed. What I want is for them to give their hearts to the sovereign God of grace. Because if our kids grow up, and I praise the Lord that all three of my kids seem to be walking with the Lord... And all glory to God for that, because I'm the king of legalism. But don't get caught in that. Don't have your kids perform to a set of rules. Beg the Lord for their hearts, that he would have their heart. You know, when your kids are younger, you've got to discipline them. And you, I mean, you've got to teach them that they can't chase cars and light up firecrackers in the kitchen and stuff like that. But you don't want to affirm them into their late years for nothing but good works. I hope that came out right. I'll circle back if I need to. So that's the problem. Hardened minds, veiled hearts. The plea, the plea that we're asking the Lord boldness for to be able to deliver, that they would turn to Christ. Verse 15. That's it. Says, but their minds were hardened, but until this very day at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because it was removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, whenever the rules are spewed out, a veil is still over their heart. But whenever a man or a woman or a child turns to the Lord, what happens? The veil's taken away. So moms, dads, brothers, sisters, prayer. Is the posture that we need to have. Because at the end of the day, our job that we want to pray the, to the Lord for the want to is to deliver the manifold grace of God, deliver the goods. God's job is to penetrate the hardened heart. We can't do it. We can't do it. So the plea is turn to Christ. That's the only hope for you. Turn to Christ, neighbor. Turn to Christ, coworker who has cancer. Turn to Christ, neighbor who's getting a divorce. There is no hope. Your husband or your wife's going to disappoint you. That sickness, that sickness just might get you. Don't go into eternity without confessing your sins to a sovereign God who laid his life down for you and who loves you. Romans 5:17 17-21 says this. So then as through one transgression were resulted condemnation to all men. From the very first sin all men were condemned. From the smallest of children. Even so through one act of righteousness there resulted in justification of life to all men. That act of righteousness was Christ laying down his life. For as through the one man's disobedience, Adam's, the many were made sinners. That's all of us. Even so, through the obedience of the one, capitalized Christ, the many will be made righteous. And the law came in that the transgression might increase. We've got the law so that it leads people to the cross, so that people see their need for a Savior. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Our boldness, brothers and sisters, should not be boldness to the principal to get the Ten Commandments back in the school. It should not be necessarily being on the front steps of my senator when I should be working, telling him to not allow the marriage of homosexuals. Please, before you throw darts at me, God wants marriage of one man and one woman. The law, the Ten Commandments, are glorious. They're our tutor to Christ. They lead us to Christ. But at the end of the day, if we had Ten Commandments on the front of everybody's textbook, we had it by the the bell in the front hallway, in every classroom, on the back of every bus seat in the bus... The same number of people are going to hell. And, I, and you've probably heard this theme come from my heart time and time again. And I get frustrated with Christendom on the radio today. Spending so much time on things that don't stink and matter. What matters is the good news of Jesus Christ penetrating hearts. And that where people are saved. And then they get the boldness to share where their hope lies. And that people are saved and they spend an eternity worshiping the worthy one. What doesn't matter is that we've got a country and a world of nice people that are following the rules. The promise? It's liberty. Romans 2.3 says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What does it mean when there's liberty? It means... That the Spirit of God creates in us a want-to that agrees with the have-to. Let that sink in. Liberty is when the Spirit of God creates in us the want-to that agrees with the have-to. Isn't it heavy at times? I don't know about you all, but it's heavy at times. Just with my upbringing, I'm just always burdened with the have-to. And I want to have the want to. And guess what? Christ is giving me the want to. It's so much fun. Okay, the third point is seeing and growing. Verse 18. But we all with unveiled face beholding or seeing as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord the Spirit. Okay, in my mind... Paul had it messed up, because this verse should have come before verse 12. He really didn't. But it it is foundational for us to be able to be equipped and to have the strength to be bold. Yes, we need to understand where our hope is in order to be bold. We also need to be strengthened. We need to be connected to the power source so that we don't operate in our own strength. And It says that, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding or seeing as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. What he's saying there is that we see the Lord clearly. And how is it that we see the Lord clearly? Here on November or whatever it is, 2007 in Windsor, Colorado. It's spending time with Him. This is how the Spirit of the Lord works. Setting our face towards Christ. It's when we spend time with the Lord. It's when He gives us the strength whether that be in prayer or in his word, he gives us the strength to be bold. You know, if I want to sound like John Piper, and I want to look and act like John Piper, what do I need to do? I need to study and spend time with John Piper. There is a kind of a founding pastor in our network of churches. His name is Tom Harkis. And many of us were mentored by him. And oftentimes, if you were to listen to him or him, or listen to me, or listen to Danny, or listen to Kevin Wolf, or Jason. There's certain mannerisms and certain cliches that we have because we were mentored and discipled by Tom Harkis. How did we get those? It's by spending time with Tom. And you know, there's certain things. I love my dad. But you know what? Nancy says I walk like him. I'm starting to talk like them, smell like them. It's because I spent 17 plus years with my father. And there's there's a certain DNA, there's a certain habits that were formed that are long lasting. That also puts a tremendous fear in my heart. And that is, is, what is it that my boys are picking up from me? What's that one song? I'm glad I didn't think of it last night because I would have found it. And I would have played it, and I would have been a blubbering idiot. Because it talks about, say it, I want, like I want to be just like you. Anybody heard it? It is a great song, and it just makes you cry, dads. And it's, if you want to be like Jesus, you got to spend time with Him. And if you don't want to spend time with Him, tell Him. And I think if you dig deep, you're going to want to spend time with them. I can't imagine not wanting. we would have seasons, you know, especially for us type A, ADD. You know, it's, you just sometimes don't feel like it. I go, God, I love you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for the freedom that I have in you. Thank you that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Thank you for your amazing word. I'm lazy today, Lord. I'm not feeling like it. You know, I'd rather go back and take a nap. Would you give me the want to? Because I really want to. But I don't have the want to. The result is that you're going to look more like Christ. So that's what this verse says. Is that by beholding or seeing Christ clearly... If you want to look more like Christ in a hurry, or faster than the rate that some of us are on, spend more time with Him. If my boys wanted to look more like me in some areas, they need to spend time with me. It says in Philippians 3, through 14 Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, far from it, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus brothers and sisters I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind you see the enemy doesn't want to let us forget what lies behind forget what lies behind remember the finished work of Christ talks about somewhere in the Old Testament to Lord to renew the joy of my salvation help me remember your finished work But the enemy wants us to remember all of our shortcomings. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and worship you. I thank you that that again, God, I'm using it over and over. It's your word that you give us everything we need for life and godliness. I thank you that you give us the want to that agrees with the have to in your law. And God, would you give us as a church the want to to be so passionately in love with you that we can't stop telling people about what we've seen in our own changed lives and the changed lives of our brothers and sisters. What we've seen and what we've heard in your word. And God, this week, would you become more real to us? Would you show us areas, God, where we're checking the boxes, where we're operating with the have to? And you say in your word, God, that we are in your spirit. Your spirit is in us. We've got the power. Yet it says that we're to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. And there's something there, Lord, that I can't wrap my mind around at times, that that even though you are in me, and I've got access to your complete power, I can still walk in my flesh and make a mess of things and operate in the have to. And God, I pray that for each of us, you would, you would empower us to walk in the Spirit and that your wonderful, abiding, life-giving Holy Spirit would give us the want to. We love you. We thank you that you're our God. That we're your people and that you promise to never, ever leave us nor forsake us. And God, just one more thing. If there is anybody here today, God, that, that you're drawing, that's going, yeah, I've, I've spent a lifetime trying to be good enough and has never surrendered or turned towards the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that this would be the day. And there's nothing to be ashamed of. What an amazing victory that we can put all of our baggage behind us. And we can look forward to the promise of new life. Amen.